0: Technique. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights. They also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Committee to Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy.
1: He's blank. I'm bradham Brian McDonald in for Joe George. Took off today. It is also his birthday. They might be related. But what is Joe doing today? Wrong answers only. 713 780 3776. Uh, 6670. Does Branham care about anything today? I almost never care about individual success. That's the way that I am. Uh care about team success. Like MVPs, I'll get on board for that. Cy Young's get on board for that. I, I care about Stroud winning offensive rookie of the year. Uh, D'Amico Coach of the Year would be cool. Like those things are a little bit more tangible to me, I guess, slightly. But even that, like my care factor for those individual awards, even if it's rookie of the year, I it's much, much lower than most. Uh, give me team stuff. I don't really care about the individual stuff. Sorry. Not sorry. Uh, 713-780-3776. Uh, we were talking about Casario, you know, the kind of uh, this this rookie class. I think he can take a victory lap. I think we can, can give him a pat on the back. I think we can give him flowers. Now, I think some of the Casario critics would say, oh, well, Stroud fell into his lap. Uh, you know, egregious trade for number three that worked out. You got to give him credit for that, though. He, he is the guy who drafted those guys. You got to give him credit, no doubt about it. The question that I would have, just Casario's first two years, questionable. Uh, third year, I think it has been overall good. We can all agree to that. Mm -hmm. What's the confidence that Casario can build a winner? Even I think you can throw the Will Anderson uh, picks into this too. Confidence that Casario can continue to build a winner even after giving up draft picks and then just going forward uh, holistically
2: with this organization? I think I have confidence in Nick Casario going forward. I didn't have it previously. There was a lot to question in the past. You know how I felt about even the the Kenyon Green mishandling of that whole injury situation in the offseason and how he handled it. I look at this now and I say, "Look, you got the you got the most important position on the on the football field figured out now. You've got two bookends on either side of the football that can lead your offense and your defense. And so, it, you know, you look at his experience in New England. You look at what t- good teams do is they attract more talent. So now, as good as he's been, even in free agency, he's going to have more guys that are knocking on his door that want to play and be a part of what he's building because what they've seen of what he's done." is starting to come to fruition. And I think in the draft, he's shown enough to say, just look at the guys that from top to bottom that he took this last year and said, even if it took a little time to get his feet wet, maybe he made some mistakes along the way. He got it right at the most important time and with the most important position. So to me, I don't think that there's a reason to doubt him going forward.
1: Yeah, see, that's where I'm at too. Like, he's kind of done the difficult stuff. Like, he's done the hard stuff. He's found his quarterback, which is very difficult to do. It's hard to find a franchise quarterback. Not very many teams are fortunate enough to have them. And then just look at quarterbacks that get taken high on the draft and look at the success rate and then look at the fell rate. Uh, does Bryce Young look like a quarterback that you can build around right now? Nope. nope. I think Will Levis has been the second-best rookie quarterback. Does he look like a quarterback that you can build around? Nope. nope. Aiden O'Connell? Nope. Uh, go look Richardson? at some of the previous year's Incomplete? drafts. We, we still know. Yeah. Like uh, I think Richardson's going to be good in Steichen's offense. I'm more concerned about his proneness to injury than his ability uh, in that offense specifically. I don't think Richardson would have as much success if he were in a Texans offense. That needs accuracy. That Correct. needs precision. Uh, he's in the perfect offense for his style of play. Uh, I think Casario's done the hard stuff. He's found the quarterback and also the head coach. Like, no doubt. it's hard to find a head coach that you feel confident in, that you think can, you know, not screw things up, and also that you work, you know, synchronized with. And it feels like they do have that good relationship. So now it's about supplementing the rest of the roster. It's supplementing, okay, can you add weapons for CJ Stroud? And they had tons of cap space, which makes it easy for Nick Casario. You look at the defensive side of the ball. Can you add key pieces for D'Amico Ryan's defense? Well, you have tons of cap space. And even with the Will Anderson trade, I know I was very critical of it. You that still have good. a full allotment of draft picks. Like, you still have a late first round pick. It's not yours, it's Cleveland. It's a little further back than where if you were picking where you're picking, but you still have a first rounder with a franchise quarterback with what looks like a book defensive end on the defensive side of the ball. So, I, I do have confidence that Casario can continue to stack on what is already a winning football team. Well,
2: and there's two things to, to take it from what you just said, too, that I noticed. I was listening to Casario's stint on Texans radio on the way home last night. And just the way, just the way, D'Amico, without being asked about it, brought up Nick the other day. Nick did the exact same thing with D'Amico last night, and it lets you know that there is a synergy between those two guys that we haven't seen very often with this franchise in its existence. But specifically with Bill O'Brien, Rick Smith, and everything in between and after. So the fact that you have that again is so important for them to be on the same page, for them to be have a synergy to communicate and understand each other, and get along to make those kind of picks and decisions is huge to get this team continuing to go in the right track, in the right direction, and that's massive, and you're right, he got the head coach right, now he didn't take, we don't know what his plan was on paper, but we knew going in there was such a, a, a massive hole to dig out of from Bill O'Brien, that we knew it was going to take some time, but you didn't know because he knew it was going to take some time, he took a very unnatural way the way it all played out because he had to go through two coaches, because he did some things along the way that was probably not the way even he had written it out on paper the first time. But when you look at it, he still got there. He got this team where it needed to go. He got them there faster than they needed to, needed to get there in a lot of people's opinions. No one thought, I think, in year three that we'd be talking playoffs with this team with an outside chance to win the division. And you're looking at a team that looks like now it's going to be reckoned with for the foreseeable future. And like I said, that's going to be a welcoming committee for a lot of players that want to play here. So I think that he's done everything you could ask of him, especially to get them to this point.
1: Yeah, I think if you were to pull the city... Uh, the mo- Like at his introductory press conference, and you said his third year, they're going to be in a Week 18 matchup to play for a spot in the playoffs. I think the entire city would have signed up for that.
2: They would love it, but I think most of them would be going, yeah, right.
1: Sure. I'm just saying, would you take this sure, yes or no? Like absolutely. the earliest that you're fighting for playoff contention is Week 18, Year 3, mm-hmm. Nick Cassira. Everybody would – it would be a resounding yes. Yep. So – like a lot of the steps in the process look kind of bad. Uh I made fun of a lot of him trading for, you know, Ryan Finley for the six round draft pick and they cut him like before training camp ever happened, the corner that they gave up a Green seventh Bay. round pick. Anthony Miller, I think they've traded a fifth rounder for and they cut him like two weeks later. Like there was a lot in hiring David Culley, promoting Lovey Smith from one in, there was a lot of trivial moves. You know, even, even his uh, I, I think that he is somebody who trades more value than he receives on draft day. And it's not just Will Anderson. He he traded three picks for Nico Collins. He traded multiple picks for Garrett Wallow. He gives up up value during drafts, but I think it's because he believes in his talent evaluation. And I do think his talent evaluation is pretty good. So can I knock him for being overly aggressive and surrendering value for making sure he gets his guys and then he's right?
2: No, no, I because can't. you know what the other thing is, Jeremy, is the fact that when you had so many holes to fill because you had such a bad roster when he took over the job, there were there there was more reasons to question. There was more of an alarm sounding when when you looked at what he was doing and aggressively trading multiples to get to where he wanted to go because he had so many holes to fill. And people are like you can't do that yet. Now, if he does those kind of things, you're 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 more okay with it than ever because of the fact that you don't have so many holes to fill. You do look like a team that's talented and on the rise. And you know that you have the most important positions, for the most part, filled so that you can now use that cap space as much as you can use the draft when the draft used to be so hyper important.
1: Yeah, I've heard people critique his first couple of years saying that he didn't do the best of, like, adding talent to a rebuilding team. You're not going to add young talent in free agency. And the Texans didn't have cap space, so you can eliminate that avenue of adding talent to the team. And then you look at the draft. His first year, he didn't have a first or a second. I think his drafts have been overall good, so I, I don't I don't know how much it's fair to criticize Casario. And you're right, like the point he has him in right now, last game of his third year, uh, overall overall success was it choppy along the way? Sure, overall success one five six five. What about the synergy of Bill O'Brien and Bill O'Brien? That was pretty strong. Synergy was great. The decision making was not eight five three two. Do you think the early criticism of Casario uh, was warranted? I think people hate him early on and didn't give him a chance.
2: No, I think there are reasons. I mean, when we talked about his missteps, it was because of some of the things that you highlighted and some of the things that I talked about in terms of just complete misses because whether the player never got a chance or when he did, when, you know, he did get on the field, you're like, why did he do that? What what are we what are we just throwing away late round picks for without even seeing what the player can do and how they could possibly fit when we knew the roster needed so much. I, I, I was in, in, leading into this season when he had to come out and try to try to explain the Kenyon Green situation with the second injury and the fact that it wasn't uh, an if, it was a when. The shoulder was going to go and that he wasn't out there already loading up backups to be there for him and behind him and all these other things. I'm going, what
1: the hell are we doing? Yeah, see, it's that, that's kind of the, it's never perfect. Like, there's things that you're going to question along the way. You can look at D'Amico as an example here. I think D'Amico is a really good head coach. I think D'Amico's done some things this year that I highly question. Uh, so, you, I mean, you can be overall good and still have some missteps along the way. In fact, you're going to. There's no such thing as perfection. You aspire to be, but you're never going to reach that perfection. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. And
2: to that point, Jeremy, the other thing is, is, there for the guys that we're talking about in terms of D'Amico and Nick, there wasn't the experience and the resume to say, I've learned from my previous mistakes, too. So in that case, you're going to probably have a few more mistakes along the way as they get their feet wet and they learn.
1: Yeah, I give more leeway to first-year head coaches for sure and first-year play callers for sure. Like I I have more grace for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lamont, I'm kind of liking all of this goodwill for Casario, but it's hard for me to forgive or forget David Culley. That was atrocious. Had me wondering if he was purposely trying to sabotage the team. I think that Casario knew that the team was awful, that the roster was awful, and I think he wanted a rah-rah guy that could keep the energy high, that could suffer the first two years of a rebuild without being somebody that would be like an issue or problem and always have positive energy. And then Casario realized it was so bad that he couldn't co-sign it for a second year. And I think that the, like the proof of the pudding in that is that instead of going out and hiring another head coach, they promoted the defensive coordinator from that staff.
2: And look, that's why I said there was a roundabout way of getting through to the plan that he probably had laid out. And he, ideally he would only have had one bridge coach, but we we soon forget how quickly we forget the embrace the suck. There's no doubt that part of the plan to make it work, to get you where you are right now, was to suck as much as you possibly could the first couple of years while you were digging out of that hole to get as high of, a pick uh, amount of picks in the draft as you could possibly get when you didn't have the cap space and you had a lot of bad contracts on your roster and you needed to get better over time. That was the easiest blueprint to get a lot of that done was – Take some guy that's happy to be there, that gets a, a more money than he could have ever imagined, and the first time ever that he can say, "I was a head coach in the NFL," and then ride out the storm while we continue to set the outline for
1: making everything better. So, confidence, can continue to build a winner. Absolutely. Yes, no, I'm, I'm with you. Yes, as well. Now that we've made that clear. What's the potential? What, what is the, the long-term potential of the Texans? 713-780-3776. Killer Beast. ESPN 97.5, ESPN
0: 92.5. ESPN 97.5.com. You need to learn. Let the boy watch. He needs
2: to learn the way I learned from my father.
0: back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5.
1: He's Blank on Branham, uh, Brian McDonald in for a birthdaying. Joe George, is that a word? Happy birthday, Joe George. What is Joe doing today? 713-780-3776. I don't want him to have a happy birthday. I do. Took off the show.
2: I Selfish. After, after all, I bowed. I'm not. I'm going to try to be be less mean to Joe George. I'm yeah. trying not to be mean to Joe George. So happy birthday, Joe George.
1: I want for him to have a very mediocre birthday where he regrets taking off work. That's what I wish. It's what I wish for Joe George, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Talking about the Casario, we all feel positive about Casario right now. Here's a here's a critique of uh, of Casario, three three one two. How about the fact that everyone wanted to lose the Colts game last season to have the overall number one pick? Do you think we would still be talking highly of Casario?
2: It's a valid question, but then you'd have to look at the rest of the draft too and see what else he did or didn't do to see how you feel about the draft class coming in and did he evaluate talent and did he make this team better? Obviously, that is going to be be a day that lives uh, in the history of the annals of Houston Texans football for the what-ifs and how they get there and did they really think CJ was the best overall and, and and did the outcome of that game give them no choice but to take whoever was left as opposed to <laughs> having targeted CJ the whole time. I think it's great because there's so many people that look back on it now because they got the right guy and say, oh, yeah, this was you know, it was all this was perfect. This is the way, you know, look at look at the way it all worked out. I think there was a hell of a lot of people that were leading the charge that said that they they should be doing everything to get to one. And if they were at one, they would have taken Bryce. Young.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't love the alternate reality stuff now. We we say that we say like well the Texans were, were aggressively seeking getting the number one overall pick were they. Like, I think that they called. I think that they're, you know, I don't know if there was a proposal on the table. I know that they called, but a general manager should always be calling, that they're doing their job. What I do know is that they didn't trade to number one, and I know that they didn't trade to number one with an uber-aggressive general manager who likes to trade up. Look what he did for number three. Look what he did in the past for third-rounders. Look look what he did for Tank Dell. So, like, yeah, they called. Every general manager should but also a super aggro GM didn't trade to number no, one. No, but I
2: would push back on that by saying that their super active push wasn't just the night before the draft. It was the fact that for 17 weeks of the regular season and the roster that he constructed and the way they went about their business with Lovey Smith basically set you up to believe he was trying to get the number one pick by putting a crappy roster e- on the field.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a pushback for that. But I don't think that you're making a pick in week 14 of the NFL
2: season. No, I'm just saying, but as part of that grand plan of saying the the faster we can rebuild could be predicated in some ways by the highest picks possible, that's why I started the whole embrace the suck because I think that he was trying to construct a plan with a bridge coach or a second bridge coach in this case that said, look, I'm going to get the fighting Rex Burkheads to look like they've given it the old college try and they're Mm -hmm. excited to be here and we're going to lose every game and get all the picks we want.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I'm just like... We're talking about trading like this. Texture suggesting that Casario got lucky. That Casario got lucky that he had the second pick, and it was lucky. Like it's very fortunate that you have Stroud over over Bryce Young. Now, I do think Bryce Young would look pretty good in this offense. Uh, He would look much better, obviously, with Slowick in the Texans' offense than whatever happened in Carolina. Carolina was a dumpster fire debacle, and it was you know rocky from the very start. Obviously, Bryce Young would look better if he were a Texan than if he were a Panther. Would I, Do I think he'd look better than Stroud? No, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. Uh, but uh, Bryce Young got a raw deal in Carolina.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that the, the conversation we had to start the show off, too, or, or, or in our first hour, about you can't just write the book and, and create the ending for Bryce Young because of the hellhole that he's been in for this year. I mean, his coach is already gone. You know, they, they before that they changed his coordinator already. His offensive line has been hot garbage. They traded away to get him their best receiver. That Adam Thielen was supposed to try and save the day as a, as a veteran, well on the back nine of his career, and that hasn't worked out. So he hasn't had. Anywhere near the resources that in retrospect, now you look at it and say CJ's had. But that doesn't mean that Bryce Young can't be a good quarterback in the NFL. It just means that the deck was highly stacked against him in Carolina.
1: 8946. Crazy how Easterby leaves the building and Texans jump leaps and bounds. You know, Are the Texans better off because they fired? Like, obviously they're better off because they fired Easterby. But what had a more positive influence in the organization? Easterby leaving or CJ Stroud being drafted?
2: Well, or Domingo being hired?
1: But yeah, but between those two things, like, because I'll kind illustrate a point the answer that, to that question like Easter, sure. If Easterby was still but, in the building right now, the Texans still have nine wins today.
2: Right. But my question then to you would be if Easterby was still in the building, would they have hired D'Amico Ryans and would they have taken CJ Stroud?
1: Depends on how much you strip of his power. Like, I mean, old, like these, these, like, crazy past hypotheticals are kind of weird. Uh, Fornot Oso says would have taken Bryce uh, as well. I remember being furious, angry, absolutely ticked off after that game when the Texans beat the Colts. I was too. I I thought it was a a terrible, terrible outcome. Now, I like to live in the reality or the alternate reality that even if the Texans had pick one, Casario figures out a way to land on C.J. Stroud. I do realize that that's probably unrealistic and probably not true, but i much rather live in that reality of Casario figuring out that Stroud was better than Bryce at number one than like, oh, Casario got lucky at two type of thing.
2: But there was also a, a lot of questions. I was questioning if Casario was the right man for the job. I said, you know, in a year's time, if we're sitting here having that conversation again, he rightfully should be on the hot seat and he should be on a short list. But when you look at that and you start thinking about those things, the main reason why I was pissed and I was completely just dumbfounded with how they found a way to lose that Colts game was you want them to have the number one pick in every round in the draft. You want them to have the best possible whether you trade the picks, whether you take the guys you want, whether you target guys and know that's the best chance to get them or whether other teams look at where you're picking and say, I, you know, after the first round, there are guys that are that slipped. I want to get to those guys. I want to talk to the Texans so I can enhance the assets they get and get the guy that I want. You're in the driver's seat if you were able to lose that game. So whether you took Bryce Young or you took CJ Stroud, to me it was just the fact that for 17 weeks you embraced the suck to put yourself in the best chance to get better as quick as possible, and then you blew
1: it. One five four two do we know that CJ is better than Bryce. The Panthers the Panthers are overall pretty dang bad. I do think the delta between the two is not as great as we think because of the mm-hmm. situations they've been put in. But, yeah, I think C.J. is better than Bryce. Size nice and touch. NFL body, his arm. Like, I've fallen in love with C.J. Stroud quickly. The, the- – where I failed with Stroud was I was questioning whether C.J. Stroud throwing the deep ball to guys that were wide open by ten yards in college would translate to when they're ten inches open in the NFL. I questioned if C.J. Stroud, whenever he got pressured a little bit in the NFL, which was bound to come, and he didn't really in college, if he still was going to continue that poise. Like I fell in love to the i. I I fell for the trap of he's at this superior university that's far better than every other team that they play, except for Michigan, and that's going to be something that doesn't translate to the NFL. I was wrong. Five-star receivers that were going to be 10 yards open instead of like 10 inches open. I fell for that.
2: Yeah, and and I I did too. And and that's why even when they took C.J. Stroud, I wasn't sold that that was going to be the guy that was going to turn out to be your franchise. But I understood that you needed a quarterback and you had to take one of those guys, and so they did. And so I was interested to see how it was going to play out. But you look at it and you say from a university that doesn't produce quarterbacks, from guys that had a university that had five stars all over the place. And you know that whatever you hear from the scouting reports, no one's ever really telling you the truth. And the guys that really are trying to prognosticate, no credit to Lance for all the work he puts in, but they don't truly know all the thing, the intangibles and the things he brings to the table. But when you heard that this dude was a a, a playbook geek, that he was just dialed into the playbook and the X's and O's, and that it mattered to him even at Ohio State. You see that now because he doesn't make the same mistakes twice. He understands his progressions and how playbooks work. And I think he's grasping offense a lot quicker than any other rookie quarterback would grasp an offense normally in the NFL. And those are all to his, his advantage as he moved through this season. But then when you look at the touch and, and the accuracy and the ability to make all throws on the field, it just all comes together and you go, man, this that was supposed to be a pretty much of a coin flip with those top two guys. But just from his perspective alone, he's
1: far exceeded what I thought he was in year one or what he could be. Yeah, I think I think he I exceeded mean, everybody's expectations. Quite possibly the best rookie quarterback in the last 25 years. King says that uh, Casario tripped and fell into Stroud, got lucky. That's the case for most like greats though. Like Bill Belichick got very lucky with Tom Brady, right? right? Yeah So we, we thought that Casario has them on track. We have confidence that he's going to continue to build a winner. What do you thinks the potential uh, with the Texans? Oh
2: I, I think that it's a perennial winning team. I'm not you know, you could be the Buffalo Bills and just have a run and never get it done, but at least you're in the conversation every year. That's the previous Buffalo Bills. To this Buffalo Bills, the window's been open for a significant amount of time. You've been in meaningful football in the playoffs. You've had opportunities to advance. And I think that that then from the flip side of it, you can say that not that you're going to be the New England Patriots or anything like that, but you could be a team that is discussed in 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 the next few years. You could start to be a team that's discussed every year as being one of the top to three to four to five favorites in the league to win it all. And I think that you, you have so much young talent. You see that now the window is open for veterans that want to play here. You've got a coach that's stable, that's good, that's going to get better. You've got a general manager that has total control of the franchise without any distractions. And you've got ownership at least doing the right things to let the football people do their thing and try to stay out of any kind of crazy decisions. And so you got to believe that this team is is headed for a lot of success, winning in the next five years.
1: Yeah, I think the ceiling is a Super Bowl. Like, I think that CJ Stroud's a top three ish quarterback right now I think he's going to be that as soon as next year so when you have a top three quarterback the ceiling is a Super Bowl especially when you couple that with a competent head coach because I thought Deshaun Watson was top five top seven but never had a competent head coach So it was hard for me to buy in kind of like the 1923 conversation we were having yesterday you got a potential top three quarterback you have a head coach that you believe in I think you have those two things those two things, and then competent decision making in the front office. I think your ceiling is the Super Bowl. So that's where I'm at with the Texans. Uh, Eight nine nine one Branimah, you were really high on Levis. How do you feel now? Uh, all the things that Levis did in college, I'm seeing now. Cannon of an arm, better athlete than people think. Uh, Makes some really special plays. Is more athletic than people think. The issues that I thought that he was going to kind of iron out with better. You know, talent around him, I'm still seeing, like, poor decision-making, a little lack of awareness, and I think that was on display in the Sunday game when he got hurt, got strip-sacked for uh, for six – I think he has the potential. Those are the areas he has to clean up. Now he's nowhere in the same stratosphere as Stroud, uh having the inside of better the rookie years. Like with his body too. Yeah, he's very reckless with yeah. his body. Uh I would also say that it's a terrible offense for him. Uh I, Tim Kelly's his O. C. It's a that's a team that's like kind of run dominated, like they're more defensive minded. I, I don't love that offense for uh for Levis, but still has high potential, but he's got to clean up a lot of areas that, that he has to be he has to, to be a good pro. And he's nowhere on the same stratosphere as uh, as CJ Stroud now having the intel of both of their rookie seasons. Uh 713780 ESPN. I saw an article from Fangraphs today. The Astros dynasty is dying? Question mark. If it does die, it's not because the lack of spending. It's because of holding on to players too long. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 975 and ESPN 925.
2: Hey, if y'all eat chips while watching games at the house, and maybe you eat wings, too, and you get that spread going, if the answer is yes to either one of those or both, let me tell you how you take it up a notch. Daisy dips. Daisy dips are the best in the business. French onion and creamy ranch, they're going to take everything from your vegetable tray to your favorite chips to even your wings and take them up a level with flavor with consistency with the fact that they taste great and they make everything that they're complementary uh, that they're put with comp- in a complementary way taste better it's dips done easy because they're already mixed, ready to eat, and you don't have to do all the extra work. My mom growing up, she used to spend all that time with all the the, the mix and the seasonings and the, the sour cream to get it right. Now you don't have to do any of that. You just go to your favorite grocery store and you go get in the dips and you put them in your grocery bag and you walk out going, you know what? I just made my viewing party better, and that's what you should consider because of the fact it's not only better because it takes a lot of the work out of it. It's also better because there's no thickeners. There's no all those stabilizing preservatives, the chemicals, no added MSG. It is simply like my mom used to make it. It's just the kitchen herbs and spices, the sour cream that's best because it's daisy and just the overall product that eliminates all of the extra work and gives you all that extra flavor. Check them out the Nature Lake local grocery store. You got a lot of big games coming up, a lot of games that are meaningful and a lot of games that are going to be more meaningful if you serve the right foods and it's got to start with Daisy Dips.
0: 97.5.com. Get in the race.
2: Don't you forget, driver and car have to be equally good to win, so do your
0: best job. I'll do the best job of driving I can. <laughs> Razor blood commentary delivered with a special purpose. What's
1: happening to my special purpose?
0: It's the killer bees live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5.
1: He's blank on Bradham. Car Wreck of the Day presented by CarWreckTexas.com in 10 minutes. Get in your nominees for our Car Wreck of the Day. 713-780-ESPN. Have an idea of who I might be nominating. I think I know, too. Uh, Fangrass posted a tweet today and an article about it. It's 2024, the end of the Astros as we know them. You know, Bregman's a free agent. Altuve's a free agent. Now, you still have Tucker for two more years, Fromber for two more years. You've signed the extension with Jordan. You've signed the extension with Javier. Is that a good extension? Uh, Pena. Some people feel some kind of way about him. Young uh, Hunter Brown. Young didn't have a great rookie season. Maybe didn't live up to the expectations many of us had as him, or for him as a as a rookie. You're older with Verlander. All those things. We we know the the storylines of why people are questioning. Is 2024 the end of the Astros as we know them? I personally don't think so. I still think that you can. And maybe this is homerism. Maybe this is me wearing orange uh, colored goggles glasses. I think that you can sustain it. Now, you do need some shrewd moves. You probably need to hit with these draft picks and get them up here in a hurry. Uh, I still think that you can – and I still think that you have good players. Yeah. Like, your Jordan, Jordan Alvarez is here for the foreseeable future is a stud. Now, he's injury-prone, and that's you know something that concerns you. I think that even though Altuve is an expiring contract that he's going to stay here. Now, he's going to be a little older. Um, you, know, you have to make some moves that are good. Maybe you have to go out of your comfort zone to, to re-sign a, a guy or two. I still think that the Astros' window can be open and sustainable, but Dana Brown's kind of behind the eight ball and has to make some shrewd moves to keep that window open
2: He's longer. in the crosshairs for sure. And he's and he's also, and again, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but he's also going to be hindered at times by an owner that's not going to want to do the kind of things that could really keep the window wide open in terms of some of the spending or some of the trades or moves that might he might want to make. And he also might come in sometime and say, go get Verlander back or go do something that seems like it's completely out of the realm of what Dana would do, but you have to do what the owner wants you to. And I think when you look at it, 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 it you're going to have Yiner Diaz for the foreseeable future, and you've got to believe he's only going to get better. You've still got Pena. You've got Jordan. You've got some cornerstone pieces there that you can work with. You still have Chaz under contract. So you've got some way, and your young pitching staff, is, from the starting perspective, you have a ton of guys to choose from that can get outs and, and eat up innings. So you have some decisions to make, yes, but there's still enough talent that says you can compete for the playoffs for the foreseeable future. The bigger thing to me is can you unload contracts or can you do things with contracts that allows you to have more freedom to do more things as well? I'm not saying you have to be as creative as the Dodgers were, but you are massively paying Justin Verlander, but you and you know that you made a mistake, whether you admit it or not, with, with the, the two of the three, if not all three of the moves that Crane made before Dana was here. I don't think I think it's inescapable to get out of a brave get out from under him. I I think that Montero his performance last year makes it v- virtually the same. So how else can you do what you need to do and are you willing to open up the checkbook a little bit more even if you got to go a little further than your comfort zone over the last several years? But there's so much there. There's so much meat left on the bone that it's not going to take a whole lot for you to keep the window open and be competitive for the next three to five years.
1: So here's where I'll disagree with you. Uh, yeah. The the opening up the checkbook. Because the, the first, if the Astros dynasty does die, I don't think that it's going to. I think it can be sustained. I think that it's going to require Dana to make some shrewd moves to be a good general manager. Um, but I don't think if the Astros dynasty does die, It's not going to be because Crane refused to open the checkbook because a lot of these free agents that have left have been it's the right decision, whether it's Springer, who's injury prone, whether it's Correa, who doesn't live up to the contract. Now, Garrett Cole is pretty good, but Garrett Cole still has tons of years left on his deal, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If the Astros dynasty does die, it's because they didn't do the things required to sustain a winning organization. Quite frankly, I think it's because they held on to a lot of those guys for too long. I think it's because they held on to Correa and let him walk for free instead of trading him. And that would have been super controversial at the time. I get it. Trading Carlos Correa when you're a World Series contender would be scoffed at. It would be ridiculed. People would hate it. Same thing with George Springer. If you traded George Springer in the final year of his deal before he left in free agency, people would scoff at it. They would hate it. they They would ridicule the Houston Astros. If you did it with Bregman right now, people would be doing the exact same thing. But because you let those guys walk for mostly free, yeah, you get a compensation pick, late first round, blah, 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 blah. But because you let those guys walk for free, you didn't reload the organization. Mm -hmm. Whenever Springer left, you didn't reload it. Whenever Correa left, you couldn't reload it. If you traded those guys before they left in free agency, you would have five, six, seven, eight players that are knocking on the door. Maybe you're already in the Major League Baseball roster that are helping you. And right now, why do we think the Astros dynasty is going to die? It's because they don't have the minor league system to replace these players that are going to go. They would have those guys uh, if they traded all of the aforementioned players before the final year and of also their contracts. Mind,
2: again, because I'm not saying Crane's cheap either. And I'm saying when I say open the checkbook, I'm saying, because the way I phrased it was to take him out of his comfort zone a little bit, which means you can go over the tax a little bit. You could spend $15 million, $10, $15 million over, but you can get the two or three
1: guys that can keep you... I still think it's a Band-Aid, though. Like that's not that's not sustainable success. That's like it's it's a patch on maybe a leaky boat, It maybe keeps you upright in contendership for a while, right? But but it's 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 a patch. It's a bridge. It's temporary. But well, the, the long term thing is when you you build from within. And if the Astros were having like the four like the foresight to do that when these players were leaving, I, I don't think we'd be talking about who? this tweet today from Fangraphs saying it's 2024, the end of the Astros as we know them. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be opposing that.
2: I don't disagree with what you said. Because the farm system is so important, we see even the biggest of big wigs in baseball use their farm system to go get the, the bigger names that they need to get at the, at the appropriate or inappropriate times, whenever they do it. But what I'm saying is, on top of that, yeah, you might be getting a guy for this year plus maybe a, a year depending on who you get and how you get them. But at the same time, now you're going to be able to do some of the things you're talking about, whether it is trade a guy or that, that contract you get off the books and you get that, whether they walk or not, you get that, you get that contract off the books. So you have more flexibility financially as well. So you could reload with a few players that can, can fill in for whoever walked out or make a deal so that you can get some more guys that might be able to fill in, in the foreseeable future. But that's not just the bridge for this year. It can be the bridge to get out from some of the obstacles that, in, in all honesty, that Jim Crane created some of them, and others are just ready to expire and get off the books. And you can recoup
1: from that, and you can still move forward and still be competitive. Like this uh, this guy on the uh, the Twitter, Oscar. 2024 is the last of the dynasty of this Astros team. They'll become the laughingstock of Major League Baseball again like they used to. Uh, tickets will be less than 50 bucks, blah, 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 blah. It sucks to have a cheap owner like Jim Crane. The Astros are going to be sixth in payroll as of right now. They're probably going to be above the competitive balance tax. The Astros have always, eh, last few years, I think they've been in the top five. If they haven't been in the top five, they've been right around the top five. So you have an owner that's been willing to spend lots. So, the How could you say that, and not you specifically, I'm talking in general. How could anyone say, well, Crane's cheap. That's the reason the dynasty's dying. That's not the reason the dynasty is dying, according to some, and I still think they can sustain it. The dynasty is dying because the foundation of what became the dynasty was the pipeline, were the young players, was the player development. And why is that gone now? For a variety of reasons. Uh, you have been drafting late in the first round because you're now a winning organization. You got stripped of some draft picks. Uh, and you've traded from the minor league system for some of these other veterans. I believe if you would have had the foresight, uh, this is something that in in the short term, you would get killed for. It's very Tampa Bay Ray-ish. You trade Springer for a couple prospects before he leaves. You trade Correa for a couple of prospects before he leaves. Well, you can't do that. You're a contender. The Astros won the World Series after Carlos Correa left. So, is it the worst thing in the world?
2: Part of it was they discovered that Jeremy Payne could not only play right away, but could play at a level to where, not that you're going to forget about Carlos Correa, but that he was, the, he was the guy to pass the torch to that had enough talent that people could relax a little bit on that whole. Because I don't disagree with you either that the fact that when you know a guy is going to leave and you know the chances are slim to none that he's going to be, you're going to be resigning him, that's in your best interest to try and get something for them. And it's all across sports. The number one rule when you get guys that in their last year of their deal, you either know you can resign them or you better get rid of them so you don't get left holding nothing when they go get, to get their bag.
1: 713 780 ESPN HRP listener line 713 780 3776. Get your nominations in for our Car Wreck of the Day presented by CarWreckTexas.com. Killer Bees ESPN 975 and ESPN 925.
0: ESPN 975 and 925. Look at these Christmas decorations. She got me this little mug with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. You
2: all right. My leg is broken. The give you
0: all
1: money, you prick. Where's my money?
0: This is the car wreck of the day, brought to you by CarWreckTexas.com.
1: He's blank. I'm Brandon. We're going to be at East River Nine tomorrow. We hope that you'll come on, hang out with us all there all day. Starting with, don't call him the bench. John and Lance continue with Paul, Connor, and Beard. Don't pick a fight with uh, with Beard. He can He'll beat up beat anybody. Your ass, buddy. I think Beard could beat up the heavyweight champion of the world because that is the weight class he'd be fighting in. Cheer and then up we'll, uh, we'll close. Campbell is. Well, I think Beard thinks he's going to. Well, no, he thinks he's going to get him in some close combat and take him down and then side mount him. Pause. Oh uh, boy. Seven, he one he three, can't seven, keep eight, from eight, falling down
0: the stairs and cutting off his own finger. He's going to fight Dan yeah, Campbell. what happened? He
1: got injured again?
0: He got I mean, yeah, he, he lost he, a fight he nearly, to his staircase. He nearly cut off, off part of his finger. Actually, he did cut well, off part of his finger. did he hurt yesterday or
1: today. What, what did he do it on?
0: With a knife. He was cooking, trying to make dinner. He, it was... With his knife, and he cut off a slice of the tip of his finger.
1: Clumsy <laughs> son of a gun! There you go. There's our first nomination. No doubt. It sells itself right there. Yeah, he's nominated for car wreck of the day. Losing a fight with a knife. Uh, Alex nominates Joe for being soft for taking the day off of work on if his Alex birthday. Didn't you would have? Yeah, I was coming. Yeah, yeah I he figured it was. He wasn't going to dodge that. King is nominating me for the car wreck of the day Why? for uh, saying that C.J. Stroud is a top three ish quarterback in the NFL. So there is that. you have okay. some nominees?
2: Yeah, a couple of them. Uh, first of all, the Los Angeles Lakers organization, because that is a bleep show. The fact that...
1: Well, they, I mean, they're milling it after winning the most important title that there is, the right, MIT. Right, which
2: has really shown how valuable it is, because now the doors have fallen off, the wheels are falling off, it's their coach's fault, the reports are coming off, coming out now that he's got to go, because, of course, in the LeBron show, it has to be the coach's fault. And, and they can't do wrong right. That whole thing is an absolute mess. And I guess they could still celebrate the fact that they won an in season tournament.
1: I think it shows you the letdown of trying to play a regular season game after having to play these high stakes, significant games at the NIT. Like, imagine that, though, for real. Like, I'm, I know that I've been facetious yep. with this and, like, have joked around with this a lot. I understand. Like, but this is, like, a legit, like, legit opinion here. Imagine having, a, like, a tournament because they had the knockout stage, mm-hmm. and then you have a final where you're playing for $500,000. That's significant. That's going sure. you know, to get you up to play the game. And then you win $500,000. And then it's like, oh, ho-hum, regular season games, that I'm not going to win $500,000 if I win this game.
2: I can see it like the first week. Yeah. I can see that. Should but I think week. that when you look at how long it's been since the tournament has been over and the fact that they are losing at a very rapid rate and guys that they brought in to change what LeBron thought about how much help he didn't have are not doing anything. And the fact that they had the opportunity to get out of like a D'Angelo Russell contract, and instead they re-signed him for a stupid amount of money, and you're like, what are you doing?
1: With you on that?
2: Yeah, and Anthony Davis has just been. I mean, he was he, he he plays every second game, third game. When he plays well, everybody whoa! Yeah. But the two games after that that he craps the bed or sits out in street clothes, you're like, oh. Okay,
1: that not being able to get up for games should have diminished by now, for sure. Yeah, uh, Ravens honoring Ray Rice on Sunday. Oh, that was bad. This is bad karma. Like I thought that the Ravens were on this roll. they are on a roll. I was finally starting to believe in the Rays- the Ravens as a Super Bowl contender. Then I see that they're honoring Ray Rice on Sunday. They're gonna. They're they gonna already lose- did. This this past week? Oh yeah, oh introduced right. them to a standing yeah. ovation in the whole world. This is gonna get. This is karma is gonna come back to get them. They're not gonna win the Super Bowl because they honored Ray Rice this past Sunday at a football game, and it's they stupid. called him a
2: legend. It's car wreck. Yeah, there was an article about it. Uh, what about the uh, the right. Tyree the, the Kill situation? Why is a child running around with a Good lighter one. in the house?
0: Wait, Tyree kills a bad parent. Yeah, it's I not, mean yeah shocker, right, but news. the fact
2: that. They found out they're billing it as a accident and an accidental fire yeah. that went haywire because a child was
1: running around with a lighter. the mm. The funny thing about well, it's not funny, but I saw in the, the where I saw it, it called it a cigarette lighter. Are we sure? Are we <laughs> oh, sure? Okay. Are we sure? Are we sure it's a cigarette lighter?
2: Right now, all Are we, we know sure? is it's a
1: lighter. We know it's a lighter. I wouldn't go as far. Like I think it's poor journalism calling it a cigarette lighter. Do you know it's a cigarette lighter? Just saying. Uh, Texas Southern needs to be nominated for our car wreck of the day. They have twice called a Board of Regents vote to vote on who their next head coach is going to be. And they want to hire the McNair. I think from, I can't remember who he's from. I think he's from Grambling. But they want to hire him. Most of the people want to hire him. There's a couple of Regents that don't, that don't. And McNair has already resigned from his other job. They've already moved on. And McNair is just waiting, waiting on the approval from the Board of Regents. There's a couple of regents that refuse to go to the meetings to sign off on it because they want Andre Johnson to be the head coach. Andre Johnson to Yes, sir. Does Andre Johnson yes, even sir. want it? Does he want He, he... has voiced that he does want it, yes. Really? He's. He, Aaron Wilson reported that. Now, Aaron Wilson has not always been perfect on his desires of potential Here we go. coaches in Houston. Uh, but yes, there's been regents that have no showed the board of regents meeting to approve Coach McNair as the head coach of Texas Southern. They've been no showing. They've been ghosting the meetings because they want Andre Johnson to be the head coach. Like they got to sit- figure
2: it out. Sounds like a city hall meeting at Houston this, in, in the city of Houston. This
1: guy's already left his other job. To take this has out. happened at
2: City Hall in Houston over the last 12 months. Brutal. Where where the, the the people on the on the board for the city of Houston they they just decided if the vote's not going their way they're not voting. They just go home. Not good. So now this McNair, he was the was he one of the coordinators?
1: No, he was the he was a head coach at one of the other swag schools. Oh, okay, I want to say he was Grambling. Hmm. I think it's Fred McNair, Fred McNair, the head coach. Yeah, I think he. Oh, actually, you know where he came from? Alcorn. He was the head yeah, coach at Yeah, because Grambling's
2: all court. got uh, Dennis. uh I mean, uh, who was the uh, the the Bengals coach?
1: Uh, the Bengals coach was. You talking about Hugh Jackson? Hugh he got Jackson. fired. Oh, he did. Yeah, he got okay. fired. Yeah, he got uh, he got got. Yeah, Fred McNair was the head coach at Alcorn State. He's already left Alcorn State, and they've already filled his position. Already filled his. They've moved on. They moved on because he's accepted the job at Texas Southern. But the board of regents are failing to finalize the deal.
2: Can the board of regents just say okay? Then we're going to make a motion that we're going right. to vote without him and get it done because that's a bad situation to be in.
1: You figured they would have already got it done if they could. Yeah. Uh, How about the Spurs with Victor and Pop? Tom uh, Orsborn, who's the sports writer for 38 years at the San Antonio Express News. After lobbying for a few more minutes, Victor, after exiting with 3.07 left, Wimby checked himself in with a minute 46 left. Checked himself in. Mm -hmm. Checked himself in. After he quartered a dunk with a minute 13, Pop pulled him at the 110 mark. Victor, after the game, said I wasn't allowed to sub in, but I still did it. And the coach sent me out right after.
2: I think after that, didn't mm. he also leave the locker room when he wasn't supposed Early, to? Early that like was that? a
1: French reporter that I didn't know if I could like, take seriously. Okay, so maybe. But
2: at the same time, it's like if this was the heyday of the Spurs, no one messes with Pop. Pop is like you know the commander in chief of everything Spursville. Now you're talking about the future franchise. Your franchise player now and for the long a long time, if you play your cards right. Yeah, it's a tough situation if you're if you're the Spurs.
1: You got pop and the go and uh, the first the franchise player going toe to toe on a, a battle for power. Uh, the court scene in Vegas needs to be nominated for the car wreck of the day. That uh, there was a guy that was but trying the to guy, get probation. Yeah, that leaped over the bench. He was yeah. trying to get probation. The judge says I'm not granting oh, you probation. Oh, that court. I thought you were like a basketball court. I missed something. Oh my
2: God, was that unbelievable?
1: Yeah, he leaped over. The bench, attacked the judge, and then uh, I guess the transcriber was the one that like broke. He beat the bailiffs there. Yeah. Unbelievable job by Female the Female judge,
2: too. And she kind of yeah. got, she just kind of looked up like, what's this guy doing? She do? and never all of a sudden, got up. Yeah, she was still in the chair when he went flying mm-hmm. over the bench. It's like, oh my
1: goodness. He went Roy Williams, Oklahoma, Texas over the bench. To he went Troy Palomalo over, uh, over the bench. Thank you. Ridiculous. Stephen Hawking needs to be nominated for Car Wreck of the Day. If you know, you know. Just leave it at that. B-Mac, you Is have he any? Alive? I don't think he's alive anymore, no. Yeah, I But think uh, alive. his name was being dragged uh, uh, in the okay. news last gotcha. night. If you know, you know.
0: Yeah, if you know, you know. Uh, I'll quickly nominate the uh, multiple uh, listeners we had that uh, texted and called in trying to get us to talk about the Baltimore Ravens oh, for some reason. Oh, yeah. That's a good call, b I
2: forgot
1: about so, that.
0: Including, including uh, coming directly to you guys when I went through the phone
1: line. Yeah. yeah. They tweeted us. They texted us. They really wanted to talk about the third-string running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Wander Franco needs to be on this list. too. hush money? For the money, whole year, hush money to a mom of the alleged victim. Not great. Not great. Right. At
2: least they finally found him. He was running for them no. for at least twenty four hours.
1: He always had good speed. He was tough to throw out on the bases. Ugh. What um, what what's winning? Game right now? on! Oh, what's no, winning? Oh. It's winning our car of the day. There's so many to choose from. There's a lot today. Is it we Joe? Yeah, let's give it to Joe. Let's give, it to the, let's give him a gift on his birthday. <laughs> oh, there you let's go. Let's give Joe a gift on his birthday. <laughs> and it's consistent. Happy birthday, Joe. Your gift from the Killer Bees, the Car Wreck of the Day, presented by CarWreckTexas.com. Uh, game on, Jerome Solomon, Barry Laminak. You're not going to want to miss the next hour of radio. Keep it here on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Thanks to Brian. He's blank. I'm Brian. We'll talk to you tomorrow from East River Nine. Later, Houston.